1: Hello, and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. But this is all a bit weird, isn't it? I assume you're not listening on your commute. Uh, Maybe you are still out walking the dog, but you're doing it trying to keep a safe distance from other dog walkers. I'm not in our usual studio in uh, the news building in London Bridge where the Times offices are. Uh, I'm not in Parliament either with the mobile recording kit. Instead, I'm at home in my uh, office sitting at my desk where I normally write the red box morning email. uh, I try to make sense of the news at 5am every weekday morning, which is even harder at the moment than it is usually. Uh, Not least try to sum up, Everything that's going on in sort of five, 600 words. We're still trying to do that. You can sign up thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox. Frankly, you've probably got the time to read it these days. I'm also not joined by three Times colleagues because that would breach quite a lot of the restrictions that Boris Johnson has put in place. So instead, uh, what we're going to do in this episode is try to get a sense of what is happening around the world by tapping into the Times' network of foreign correspondents dotted around the world to find out uh, what they make of different governments' handling of this extraordinary global pandemic i warn you i'll probably use the word extraordinary quite a lot uh during this episode what we're essentially going to do is a sort of eurovision of misery going to uh, various capitals around the world and asking if they are giving their governments their null point uh, in their handling of this crisis so we'll we'll kick off in tokyo where richard lloyd parry is he's the uh, asia editor of the times he'll talk us through when he first heard about the coronavirus outbreak In China, how the Japanese seem particularly willing to go along with some pretty stringent restrictions uh, from the authorities in a way that other countries, perhaps even Britain, possibly wouldn't go along with. Um, and he'll also pinpoint the country which he thinks might be the next one to really come under pressure uh, in the far east Uh, then we'll hop to Italy where Tom Kington is in Rome he'll describe the extraordinary pressure that Italian society has been under having been one of the hardest hit countries but particularly uh, the health service there he'll also explain why Rome now has a particular problem uh, with dog's mess as a result of the crisis we hop to Paris uh, where Charles Bremner is also holed up. He'll explain the... I'll say extraordinary again. The extraordinary 300 billion euro package that President Macron outlined on Monday night in an attempt to shore up uh, both individuals and businesses in France to try and prevent them toppling over into... Uh, financial ruin. Uh, Reassuringly the French authorities have found uh, that this crisis is an excuse to create another piece of paper uh, that everyone has to fill in in keeping with uh, French tradition. Uh, Then we hop to Berlin where Oliver Moody uh, will explain why historically Germany has got more hospital beds than other comparable countries which is going to become particularly useful uh, right now. And then we'll hop to LA where Ben Hoyle is holed up in California trying to make sense Of the slightly baffling response by President Trump, but also discuss how on earth this might affect the US election due to happen in November. So, a huge amount to get through. So plenty more still to come. We should just touch on the politics of what is happening in the UK first. On Monday, Boris Johnson announced a huge package of restrictions on public movement in an attempt to stop the spread of coronavirus. People told to work from home, to stop socialising, avoid pubs, bars, restaurants, uh, and the over 70s in particular told to start uh, social distancing, and those with um, health complications to cocoon essentially for the next three months cutting off all contact uh, where at all possible then on tuesday rishi sunat the chancellor's exchequer announcing an enormous 330 billion pound economic package Uh, that's predominantly 300 billion pounds of loans that businesses can uh, get from banks which the government will guarantee Uh, there's also the promise of no business rates for those leisure businesses uh, which are really going to struggle in the coming weeks and months bars restaurants Uh, cafes, theatres, that sort of thing. Uh, There's the uh, reiteration of an existing policy that you can get a three-month holiday on your mortgage if you find yourself in financial difficulty. Big questions though still remain on whether or not, A, this is going to be big enough, uh, but also some of the specifics. There's no um, obvious help yet for renters or those facing immediate eviction or uh, redundancy in this crisis, and sometimes it can take a while for government help uh, to feed through. So we'll take a look at some of that when we know more of the details maybe in next week's episode of the podcast now though uh, the times has launched a new daily podcast it's called stories of our times they obviously had a whole load of ideas uh, lined up to uh, roll out in the first week and it, all those have been put in the filing cabinet for now to concentrate on coronavirus a couple of fascinating episodes out already and i'm delighted to be joined by story of our times host manveen rana manveen hello hello Welcome to the Times family. What a what a nice, straightforward time to join. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, straight in at the dysfunctional end.
1: Talk us through Stories of Our Times.
0: So, Stories of Our Times is going to be a new daily news podcast. It's going to be one story told in real depth, so just a really cracking story, but hopefully it'll show you something about the world and something about coronavirus right now that you won't have known before. And it's great because, like you, we've got sort of lots of Times experts to help
1: and uh, how have you found it so far because launching this week there's clearly one story in town what have you learned from talking to people who've uh, been trying to deal with coronavirus have suffered from coronavirus reporting on coronavirus
0: well it's it's really fascinating I mean a lot of it isn't completely clear yet you know the advice seems to be changing every day Um, we spoke to some doctors who've got coronavirus which is just fascinating because one is in quarantine the other because the guidelines had changed have been told to leave and to go back to Working in a hospital, even though all of her doctor colleagues were sort of saying, "Maybe don't go and visit your mother because they can't be sure that they're completely clear of the virus," which is quite scary. But it just sort um, of—I think it's just been those few days of watching the government advice change so quickly, and I'm not sure all of the implications have been thought through. So it's fascinating seeing it at the at the sharp end.
1: And so what do you have planned in the coming days and weeks? I assume you had a whole load of, of other topics that you were planning to talk about and instead it's all coronavirus. Yeah. What can people expect from stories yes. of our times?
0: Well, we're trying to look at different angles. So hopefully we'll be able to bring you something that you won't have heard already. Um, we've got coming up this week, we've got John Ronson reflecting on how you know if, if self-isolation feels terrible and all the panic about whether you're prepared for what might be coming and if you're rushing to the supermarkets. Well, it's not so bad if you've spent your life being a panicker if if you spent your life living with anxiety apparently they're having a really calm moment now uh of sort of feeling like this is everything i've prepared for a great um,
1: i told you so moment
0: a bit a bit of a this is (laughs) this is all that panic all those years this is what it was all about um so he's he's fantastic and see, he sort of has great tips on how to cope with the anxiety too so we we are trying to look at sort of different angles
1: at some point the news might get better and we can move on to talk about all the other aspects of life and what's in the times and the sunday times that um you were hoping to, hoping. to, to uh, cover yeah exactly um so uh, where can people find stories of our times and when does it um update
0: well we're everywhere we're on apple podcasts spotify acast uh, times website wherever you get your podcasts we're out every day monday to friday uh, the new episode usually drops at about six in the morning but listen in any time subscribe if you can so that you never miss us um and let us know what you think of it.
1: And perfect listening for when you're you're trapped at home. Obviously after you finish listening to Red Box.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're we're definitely playing on the captive audience. <laughs>
1: exactly right, exactly right. Mavi, best of luck, not least with the technological challenges of trying to do a, a multi-layered podcast from home, as we are all <laughs> learning. Mavi really good to see you. Cheers, Matt. Manveen Rana there. Now, grab your boarding pass, pack your suitcase and head for the departure lounge for an entirely imaginary flight around the world to see how other governments and countries are reacting to the crisis let's head to where it all began then china asia uh, where the coronavirus outbreak first emerged early in 2020 and to richard lloyd parry the times asia editor it's an extraordinary patch you've got richard which is covering uh, some of the worst uh, and certainly early outbreaks let's start then at the beginning and china and wuhan where the outbreak began at what point did you realise that this was going to become more than a sort of China story? How how long ago was this sort of on your radar?
2: Well, I was back in the UK for Christmas and New Year holidays uh, until the, the second week of, of January, actually more like the third week. Um, I stayed quite a long time back home. And I remember, you know, while, while I was off seeing... Uh, news stories about uh, infections in 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 China in Wuhan, uh, and people wondering whether this was was going to get worse, but it wasn't really till the the last week of January that this really exploded, and you know that was when it it, it clearly had the potential to to develop into something bad. Now Asia ha- has faced these kind of epidemics before. SARS, of course, the the swine flu in in two thousand and nine. And they have, uh, you know, raised alerts and made people anxious, but eventually abated. I, I don't think back then that that anyone, even people who are paid to be vigilant and anxious about these things, expected it was going to get this bad,
1: and result, for example, in Italy and Spain closing to visitors. The- controls i think now in the uk if you'd said this that was going to happen a week or two ago uh, i think everyone would have thought you were you were overreacting and what about the rest of asia sort of china very much at the the start of this outbreak it sounds like there's possibly light at the end of the tunnel in japan what about other countries where 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 were the where are the next sort of hotspots that you're keeping an eye on
2: china's very bullish about it they they really believe they've they've, they've broken it now yeah. south korea was for about for a few days the the big hotspot outside china it was quickly eclipsed by italy they dealt with it extremely well very fast and effectively by mass testing basically and isolating people they didn't do what the british government did rather early which is to throw in the towel on containment um they 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 kept fighting the fight and that's worked very well for them taiwan has been similarly impressive hong kong has got it under control singapore very good place that that i'd be worried about now would be the philippines They've locked down the capital Manila, which is a massive, sprawling, chaotic, Dickensian kind of city. The main island of of Luzon, which which Manila is on, which is a big island. I mean, you know, it must be close to the size of, of Britain, uh, has been has been shut down. Uh, you know, quarantined, and they became the first country in the world to close their stock exchange today. Uh, I mean, I think they know, as as anyone knows who knows the Philippines would also guess that. They, they
1: that, that's a country that has a lot of problems anyway. And in terms of the controls that you've seen in place, you said you were in the UK um, at Christmas. Is there something, I mean, clearly China's approach to public controls is pretty extreme compared to what people would expect in the UK. Is there something culturally, are people in Japan more willing to go along with these instructions? I mean, there's lots of uh, talk in the UK about, well, no one is going to put up with pubs and bars being shut and not visiting relatives for, for weeks and months on end. Is there something about the, the culture in Japan that people have been willing to, to stick with the instructions?
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I've been thinking about this a lot. And, you know, it, it's partly about about policies by, by governments and decisions by governments. But the truth is that, that pe- people in Japan uh, and Korea, and I think Southeast Asia as well, are more inclined, less resistant to... The kind of things that you need to do uh, in terms of behavior to contain these epidemics so you know in in the winter people in japan if they have colds or flu wear masks anyway as a courtesy to other people says not to infect other people it's it's what you do instead of sticking a a dirty hanky over your mouth you have the mask right so that's no one here feels self-conscious or odd about wearing a mask I was back in the uk out with some friends in the pub and I, I put my mask on just to show them and they were all hooting with laughter. I might as well have put a Chewbacca head on, you know, it was like fancy dress, <laughs> but here people don't feel that. Um, they, and, and they also are, are inclined to, to follow rather than to resist recommendations from the government. So for example, I, have been noticing, I'm trying to keep my kids entertained, you know, half the time in, in um, rotation with my partner. And, uh, you know, we've been going to the park, obviously, to, to get some exercise and, and to fill the time. And I'd expected there'd be lots of, of kids there because the schools are closed. There really are very few. And I think the reason is that people are here have almost over fulfilled the recommendation. So schools are closed. But as having seen their kids come back from school, people are keeping them at home as a kind of extra optional responsible measure. Um, so all these things make it easier and, and when, uh, you know, government people and scientists and, and the, the people who, who plot these policies are making their plans here, one of the things they, they don't worry about or they worry about less is mass disobedience and this idea that, well, mm-hmm. if we stop people from going for football matches, if we tell them they can't go out now, then in three weeks they'll just ignore us. People in, in East Asia tend are more likely to, to do what's
1: recommended. And I suppose I should ask you about the Olympics, which should be taking place in Tokyo this summer.
2: Yeah, I mean that's
1: a huge,
2: huge thing for the Japanese government, as you can imagine. I mean they they've been working towards the Olympics for seven years since they were awarded it in two thousand and thirteen. You know billions have been spent on on, on new stadia, uh, you know investments in infrastructure. Everything is geared towards the Olympics. Uh, there are signs, posters up everywhere. Um, it, I mean, personally, I, I would be very surprised if the Olympics were not cancelled at this stage. I, I don't think it, it's going to go ahead. Um, and, and that's going to be devastating for many people, not least the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, who is very personally invested in this. This is his personal baby. So far, the the, the line has been, well, it's full steam ahead. Uh, No, absolutely not. We're, We're going ahead just as normal. No one needs to worry. Yesterday, Abe gave a press conference where for the first time his language changed. It was rather odd. He was asked about it and he said, we intend to go ahead and deliver a complete Olympics. And when he was asked what he meant by that, he just repeated the same language. But what it seems to imply is that unless... Everyone can come to the Olympics, you know all the competitor nations they won't have it that they won't entertain, for example, holding the Olympics in empty stadia so that people can watch on TV but not go into the stadiums that's been one idea that that I think makes it more likely that thing will be cancelled outright. They may, they, they may decide to postpone it. They're still, they don't have to decide yet. They've probably got at least a month or two before they have to make an announcement. But I'm quite sure that behind the scenes, absolutely frantic discussions are going on with the IOC, with sponsors, with the TV people about what are the possibilities for, for saving this really terrible situation as far as the summer games go.
1: I just wanted to finally uh, ask you about a story that you, you posted on uh, Twitter on Tuesday about the guy who was arrested for joking about having coronavirus on social media. It, it, it's just a, a great reminder of how seriously the Japanese authorities are taking it.
2: Yeah, this so this was a guy, silly young guy who um, he was going to a, a concert, a music concert uh, you know, and, and he and he tweeted jokingly. Uh, I think he said, "Oh, so glad to have got over the coronavirus. Looking forward to the gig." You know, something like that. And people at, at the concert saw this and and took it to the organisers, and they perhaps overacting uh, called the whole thing off. <laughs> anyway, they 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 tracked this this guy, identified him, and he's now been had up for the crime of obstructing business. Which seems like rather a stretch, but but there we are. I mean, it, it goes to show how the people are, do take it very seriously here. It's not a joke, uh, and even
1: just fooling around uh, of that kind is not being tolerated at all. Richard Lloyd Parry there on the cultural differences, which mean that Japan might react slightly better to these restrictions than other parts of the world. Right, let's hop up back onto our imaginary plane and head now to Italy. Uh, Tom Kington is in Rome. Tom, what's it like there being at the heart of the European outbreak of coronavirus?
3: Well, I'd quote my 13-year-old son who said to me, it's just really boring. He's (laughs) stuck at home ever since school shut down here in Rome over a week ago. Uh, So he's just come through his first full week of of homeschooling, which involves him sat in front of his computer. And uh, I can see this sort of Blurry faces of teachers uh, swearing at the bad connection. Then at the other end of the house is my wife, who is herself a teacher, and she's giving lessons down the computer using the Zoom video conferencing program so i can hear the kind of um, chirp of uh, young voices coming from her computer and i'm somewhere in the middle track trying to work occasionally getting out although when i was uh, down the road in a local piazza the other day i was stopped by police in rome at the moment you're allowed out for work if it's essential or for buying food basically but at the same time the government has left a number of shops open including newsstands so I was going out trying to get a paper I explained this to the the policeman who stopped me and he said I don't care I, I that's not good enough for me I want you to go home now so that's an idea of how stringent it's been here in Rome mm-hmm. streets are pretty much deserted uh, really it's 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 very post-apocalyptic here you're walking around thinking that the bombs dropped and and you're about to get pounced by zombies as we've seen uh, Romans Italians generally are trying to figure out ways to keep themselves busy during the day so I can I can see from my my balcony I can see people in other other flats across the street uh, getting out their yoga mats at home so they can keep fit then we've had a bit of the, the sing song going on there's a guy across from my window where i work who every night at six o'clock uh, plays a sort of classic italian pop song very loudly with his windows open i think he's hoping the neighborhood uh, will join in with with the with the singing first of all i don't really know the words to a lot of these songs secondly six o'clock coincides perfectly with the italian civil Prote- uh, protection agency's daily briefings on the number of dead and infected just really not a good moment to be throwing open the window and singing volare at the top of my voice <laughs> and talk to me about dog's mess that's become a crucial thing in my life, given that there's so much more of it on the streets around where I live. I think that's because, well, first of all, there's a lot more dog walking going on, because a dog is the perfect excuse to be getting out of the house. Police don't stop you if you've got a dog. Lots of stuff going around on social media in Italy about uh, dogs for rent and uh, exhausted dogs who have been walked by six different owners that day. What I sense is going on is that the dog crap that usually gets picked up by people in those little bags that they carry around isn't getting picked up because the dog walkers are having a look around them when the dog does his business and are noticing there's no one else on the street and are thinking oh god i'm just going to leave it here what it tells you is that usually those people who do their duty and pick up the the dog crap in those little plastic bags are only doing because they think they're being spied on and when they're not being spied on They just leave it there. Another thing I would add about dogs is that on Saturday, the city of Rome closed down all the parks because they were worried about people who were getting out for 20 minutes of fresh air, congregating in parks and forming crowds and therefore not respecting that one metre distance that people are meant to keep between each other. So all the parks were shut down, except in my neighbourhood, the small park, which is reserved for
1: dogs humans can't go to parks dogs can so how are people in italy approaching this apart from sort slightly bend the rules with dogs do you think they've got the stamina for a long-term shutdown are they happy i mean there's lots of people in britain saying why aren't we doing uh what they're doing in italy and that sort of thing do people in italy think this is being handled well i think
3: at the moment italians are digging in and they're prepared to do what is being asked of them i don't see any kind of rebellion here, apart from perhaps the number of southern Italians who live and work in northern Italy, who got the hell out of northern Italy the moment they figured there was going to be a lockdown. And they all wound up back in Puglia and in Sicily, where they come from. And that has created problems because people are worried that they took the infection with them. However, apart from that, what I think we're seeing is, yeah, an, an Italian willingness to stay indoors, and in fact, people who do go out get yelled at in the street. There's that kind of attitude. There's been a great sense of national cohesion. One Italian paper yesterday was reporting that of all the songs being belted off balconies, it was the Italian national anthem, which was the most popular. Great sense of patriotism at the moment, and everyone at the same time is looking at the numbers that are announced daily just fingers crossed thinking let's hope that what we're doing here uh, can pay off in the next week or two because if it doesn't perhaps things will change perhaps people will get a little bit more uh, depressed and less gung-ho than at the moment.
1: And just finally the health service lots of people in the UK are, are looking at what's happening to the health service in Italy and worried about what might come to pass for the NHS. How bad are things inside the Italian Health Service at the moment?
3: The clusters, the initial clusters of this this virus were in Lombardy, which has the best national health um, uh, provision in Italy, alongside some of the other northern regions. Nevertheless, the hospitals have been overwhelmed because it hit so quickly and was so widespread before doctors even were aware of it that intensive care wards have been, have been overrun. Uh, it's boiled down to whether these hospitals have enough ventilators to, to connect people up to. So the question for the UK would be whether there is the danger of such a localised and such a rapidly expanding cluster. If perhaps the numbers were equivalent in the UK but spread throughout the country, perhaps it wouldn't be so much of a problem. Uh, Right now, Bergamo in Lombardy is the sort of epicentre. I was talking to doctors up there at one of the hospitals today, and they were saying they just haven't stopped work uh, for a month. They're falling like nine pins, doctors getting infected themselves. They are having to make those life or death decisions that you would usually see doctors making in wartime, i.e. whether a patient is uh, so old and so frail and so ill do you connect that person up to a ventilator? Doctors are admitting
1: to taking those choices at the moment, and I would not wish that on any other country. And so just finally, is Italy yet at the point of seeing light at the end of the tunnel? Or is it you just further into the tunnel than, than the rest of Europe? A
3: hint today in the new numbers of a, a possible turning point, given that the new cases reported increased just 13%. Sounds like a lot, but actually that was the slowest rate of growth since data started being compiled around February the 21st when, when the contagion began to spread. I understand that the numbers today didn't include, I think, Puglia, uh, one of the regions. They came, The numbers came in too late to be added. We'll see tomorrow. Perhaps this was just a blip, but um, I heard that uh, some officials up there in, in Lombardy were were saying... Let's not get too excited, but maybe we could be at the start of uh, the effect of all the various lockdowns that we've imposed.
1: So some signs possibly of light at the end of the tunnel in Italy, just as other European countries are heading into what could be the worst so far of this outbreak. After the break, we'll speak to Charles Bremner in Paris, Oliver Moody in Berlin and Ben Hoyle in LA. We're back after this. Right. Next, we go to Paris. Charles Bremner is there. Uh, Charles, um, extraordinary announcement overnight from President Macron announcing a 300 billion euro bailout package. France very much now in lockdown.
4: Yes, uh, Macron used the word war six times in his fairly short address. Uh, He said, we are at war with an invisible enemy. They are pulling out all the stops this time to get the French to take notice of the coronavirus because the previous steps last week didn't seem to have much impact. They closed the schools, told people not to go out and socialize, but they still carried on doing it. So now it's quite draconian. You can be fined for going out if you can't prove why you're out. And how, how much is that fine? It's initial 30-something euros. They haven't decided, and it can go up to about 135
1: euros. And so what's it been like for you living in Paris? How much has it impacted on you so far, even before the, the measures came in last night? The
4: city has become um, pleasantly quiet. <laughs> There's a positive side to it all. I actually live in the suburbs, so it's uh, not impacted us as, as directly as people inside. Around. When I'm, I'm in the middle of the city for work, for instance, I, that that is different because, because you people are wary about being in the metro the underground and uh, in crowded spaces and so restaurants and cafes are emptied out even before the the measures over on saturday to close everything there are people people are acting a little bit suspicious of of other people now in paris
1: and what about the public reaction to what macron is now doing do you think people will comply the fact they've already got fines in place suggests that they're, they're concerned that some people won't do you think it's in the french nature to 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 go into lockdown for a sustained period like this,
4: the, the French know are traditionally quite difficult about this kind of thing. The French, are, as you know, naturally rebellious. There's a great suspicion of government, and there's not there's not a great social solidarity as there is between in among people in northern Nordic countries in Europe. So the government is being pretty careful. It has to use a certain amount of force of stick, but also a bit of carrot. It says it's only going to be for two weeks and they're they're pleading for 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 civility amongst the french one thing that has taken that has not taken place is that there hasn't really been a, a real panic in the supermarkets and food buying as I gather there has been a bit in, in the south of England at least so the, the French are taking it now more in their stride but uh, things could blow up at any time as they do even in normal peacetime like the the yellow vest gilets jaunes
1: movement over the last year If you find any loo rolls do send them over because I, <laughs> I can assure you that in our local Morrisons uh, there haven't been any loo rolls for about a fortnight And and in terms of the economic economic impact are people worried about that i mean clearly the size of the macron bailout suggests that they are seriously worried about the the impact of of these restrictions
4: the government's deploying a a big bazooka or at least holding out the possibility as a as a way i think of slowing down the panic in the markets and the fear of of small and medium enterprises that 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 is worrying a great deal of many people they've said that they will Bend over backwards to to drop taxes and cuts, what they call social charges, payroll taxes on the medium-sized firms which dominate the French economy. Uh, they've today the the finance minister Bruno Le Maire has said that France will nationalise, if necessary, big companies. This follows the Italians. Moving to nationalise Alitalia, their very very sickly national airline. So France could go the whole hog, they've done it in the past. They've even nationalised things like car companies if necessary.
1: And one of the things that struck me, uh, looking from the UK, is the, the sort of the, the tension within Europe. That the the where you might have expected the EU to act, actually, different countries are doing different things. Is that how it seems from inside? the eu now is now that we sort of see ourselves as being outside
4: yes uh, traditional believers in the european cause like emmanuel macron are disappointed that there hasn't been more solidarity amongst european countries so the technical answer from brussels is of course that health care is a national is in the national purview it is not um, a community subject beyond uh, coordination in brussels But there was a feeling that even Macron, for instance, um, banned the export of French uh, masks. And that that upset uh, neighbouring countries, which who who, who all said, well, what about Macron and his European solidarity? There has been a bit of a, a disappointment, to put it mildly, between European countries.
1: And I suppose that, you know, we've seen that as well with sort of tensions over who gets ventilators and that sort of thing. That's true. Uh,
4: the French are quite well stocked, although the, the French medical profession and hospitals have been complaining and even striking over the last year about poor facilities. France is actually one of the best the best equipped countries to deal with this kind of
1: crisis. If you did want to go out of the house, how do you go about doing that? How do you go about proving that you're on official important business?
4: Uh, well, this is, this is France, so you have to fill out a form. <laughs> you, you're you're a, a rather complicated form of which they, there are five boxes that you can tick. And the first explanation I won't start it all up is about uh, what is your is your déplacement your your movement outside justified? And you, you being France, you have to provide all kinds of certificates and and, and, and ID papers to prove it. But otherwise, you can be fined. But the, the again, the, this is France, so it's the form is confusing. It's not clear whether you have to fill one out every single time you leave. The house with the dog, or that you can sign one to cover all your activities with the dog over the next two weeks. But uh, you you are expected to print it out on your printer, which, of course, has people saying, well, not everybody has has printers and monies to pay for expensive ink cartridges. So th- um, w- this is what the French call a gas factory, a usine à gaz, when the government decrees something which is too complicated.
1: <laughs> well, it's reassuring that even in a time of a global pandemic crisis that uh, the French authorities can still find a way to um, create a bit more form filling. Uh, Charles Berman there in Paris. Next we hop to Berlin. Oliver Moody is the Times correspondent there.
5: What's the state of play in Germany? So uh, medically and probably socially we're um, about seven days down the line from where the UK is. I guess we're a sort of very limited crystal ball for Britain. Uh, So we've got um, at the time of speaking about four times as many cases as you have. Um, We've got something like 6,700 confirmed cases and I think the UK's got about 1,600 and uh, the government has just announced a package of uh, fairly restrictive measures but in a European context they're on the liberal end of the spectrum I'd say.
1: Also there's been a big debate in the UK about are we being strong enough why aren't we doing what Italy are doing but obviously there are other countries who aren't besides Italy who aren't going for full-on lockdown in Germany's one of them. Is there signs that that's working or just, honestly, is it too early to tell what is working and what isn't?
5: Germany is a bit of a special case for let's say two reasons. The first being that um, it has a health system that's set up very differently to most other countries including the UK. For a start it's very marketized. it's kind of like the Andrew Lansley reforms on speed. The money end of things is looked after by just over 100 health insurance companies but also Germany's very Federalized, which means the health administration is in the remit of the 16 different states and also the federal government, which means we have a massive number of hospitals, which uh, looked a lot like overcapacity five weeks ago, but now possibly looks like prudence. So there's about four times as many hospital beds per capita in Germany as there are in the UK. Oh, wow and how how
1: are the German people reacting to this, I And mean, we've seen people stockpiling and going a bit mad in supermarkets in the uk. is that Is that how German people react?
5: Very much as in the UK, there is this kind of schizophrenic lunging division between a majority of people who are probably blithely a bit indifferent, but kind of waking up to the fact that the excrement is really hitting the fan at the moment and sort of very insistent on everybody playing by the rules to the point where the Berlin police force has had to issue an appeal to uh, citizens not to ring the emergency services to report bars that are breaking the um, curfew <laughs> restrictions. <laughs> Um, and then there are probably a minority, but a, a very kind of economically meaningful minority who have been uh, hoarding the charm in like nobody's business, just as in the UK. So most supermarkets have been routinely stripped of tinned beans, pasta, loo roll, disinfectant, all the kind of usual suspects. It's called hamster shopping in this country. I really think that's a term that should, uh, should catch on in Britain soon.
1: That makes it sound a bit sort of cuter and a bit less aggro.
5: Or oh, like your cheeks are stuffed with Andrex.
1: Yeah, I saw you reported sauerkraut was the only thing left in your local
5: supermarket. Uh, Actually, it wasn't just sauerkraut. There was also uh, preserved asparagus and sort of bottled green kale. So if you're short of any of those, just pop over to to Germany and sort yourself out. That
1: sounds like a sort of episode of Ready, Steady, Cook from Hell. Those are the three things (laughs) in your bag. From your perch in Berlin, you don't just keep an eye on Germany. What about the other countries in your patch in inverted commas?
5: Right. So we've got the full gemut here, ranging from uh, Norway and Austria, who have both taken really restrictive authoritarian measures because um, even though the number of cases they've got isn't that high in absolute terms it's very high in per capita terms so they've effectively sealed themselves off from the outside world and forbidden people from going out Ranging all the way over to Sweden, who have been, if possible, even more chilled out about everything than, than Britain has been so far.
1: What about the sort of the sense of Europe? I mean, given that Britain—it I mean, seems a long time ago now—but for a while we used to talk about something called Brexit and Britain's place in the EU and you know, Europe as an entity, the European Union, and everything had to be, you know, increased coordination between European countries, everyone doing the same thing. And yet, what we've actually seen in the face of a real crisis is everyone just goes off and does their own thing.
5: My impression is that. Brussels has has really been kind of caught off guard and because of the extremely slow nature of its decision making, it's really struggled to assert its authority and that the balance of power has very much moved towards national governments. That said, Ursula von der Leyen, the uh, German president of the European Commission, has just started laying the ground for the EU to introduce restrictions at its collective borders. And it looks as though Christine Lagarde is priming the pumps at the European Central Bank for serious coordinated stimulus measures. So we may see policy start to migrate towards Brussels and Frankfurt. However, there has been a kind of very interesting tension lately between European countries, since that they ought to have kind of solidarity with the other EU member states. And the fact that everybody is scrambling like mad to get enough supplies to sort out their own people, the one kind of really... Big example of this has been ventilators. Germany's got one of Europe's largest, most capable ventilator manufacturers, and the government has just put in an order for 10,000. Whether all of those ventilators are just going to be kind of hoarded like Lurol in Germany or whether they'll be made available to other European countries, we don't know yet.
1: We should just talk about the vaccine mm. as well that, that Donald Trump was very keen to buy up exclusively for America.
5: That was the uh, allegation that was put anonymously by German officials. It's a bit of a weird story in that the health minister went on TV a few hours after it broke and said, actually, it's all been sort of done and dusted. And actually, we've negotiated to keep this firm in German hands, but also uh, providing vaccines for the world at large. As you rightly point out, it's another interesting example of how it's kind of every nation state for themselves up to a point.
1: Oliver Moody there in Berlin. Now let's cross the Atlantic uh, to find out what is happening in America, where Donald Trump has faced huge criticism for his handling of the crisis, not least having admittedly dismissed it as a hoax. He then said it would just go away, and then he started closing American airports to flights from mainland Europe. So we go to California, where Ben Hoyle, the Times West Coast Bureau chief, is home just outside L.A. Ben, what's the current state of play in America? My
6: wife and kids have just been doing an exercise session in the backyard before the kids start their online schooling for the day, and my wife starts making calls for her job, which she's also having to do from home. The dog is curled up looking pretty happy that everyone's at home for once, and it's going to be like that. the foreseeable future. I mean, we've been told that schools are closed until the Easter holidays in a couple of weeks' time, but I think realistically everyone is preparing for it to be quite a lot longer than that. I guess like in England, the pace of realisation has quickened a lot over the last week, so last weekend people were still fully socializing with each other going to restaurants all of that sort of thing this weekend you could already tell if you went out that things were much thinner on the ground in bars and restaurants and then yesterday the governor of california told everyone over 65 to stay home for the foreseeable future and said that all pubs and bars should close he said restaurants would be okay for now but that they needed to greatly reduce customer density but then Last night, Los Angeles closed all restaurants except for takeout and delivery services, as well as all bars. And I think it's only going to get tighter, the restrictions from from now on. There's been lots of panic buying in the shops to the point that the mayor of Los Angeles was yesterday begging shoppers not to hoard stuff, reminding them that the supply chains are all holding up, that there's absolutely no need to buy bottled water because tap water is perfectly safe to drink. Basically, since Wednesday night, when President Trump addressed the nation and did the absolute opposite of calming nerves, uh, I think (laughs) at that point. Since then, people have just been going crazy. It's it's really changed the atmosphere around here.
1: And in terms of President Trump, he doesn't yeah. have had quite the about turn from it's all a hoax to it'll go away to panic.
6: And in the middle of that about turn, he still managed to, to say that he doesn't accept any responsibility for the slow response on testing. And he's still claiming that he's very much in control of the situation. But it's very evident that the reassurance such as there is is coming from other people around and not from him. The Vice President Mike Pence has surprised some critics of the White House by being a, a daily presence and seeming really quite presidential in comparison to the actual president. The most impressive figure has been Anthony Fauci, America's top infectious diseases expert who has served six presidents now in that role. And he has consistently been not sugarcoating the situation. And I think that really helped to bring home the gravity of what was going on to most people. And Fauci has said that Americans still need to hunker down significantly more than they're doing, that when you think you are doing too much, you are probably doing enough or not enough. And uh, so the the effort is continuing to, to persuade people to change their behavior. But President Trump was on his address on Wednesday night uh, he was mostly concerned with blaming the virus on other people he described it as a foreign virus America was perfectly in control of the situation and wanted to get across the fact that the best weapon against it was travel bans which a travel ban which he hadn't consulted with the European countries that were included in it and he then also misleadingly said that the ban would apply to goods as well as people and they had to row back on that straight afterwards um so i think we were the whole world was probably quite lucky that the stock markets were closed at the time
1: and uh, crucially as well with the whole point of a travel ban is that it's already in america that I mean, well exactly it's the definition yeah. of shutting the stable door if the horse is bolted
6: it is yeah california alone has now got more than 330 cases the fear is with america is that the particular nature of the healthcare system here and employment law here means that the country looks really vulnerable to uh, exactly this kind of crisis,
1: and and that's I suppose one of the big conversations in the UK has been about the amount of government support for and the level of sick pay and what's available yeah. to people working the gig economy. But compare even what is the criticised system in the UK to what is available in America. I mean, if you if you basically get sick in America, it's pretty tough, isn't it?
6: That's an enormous concern here. About one quarter of private sector workers in America. And more than a third of people working in sales and almost half of all those working in service jobs, construction and farming have no paid sick leave at all. Wow. So there are millions and millions of workers throughout America who don't have the option of just staying at home because they feel a bit sick at the moment. They desperately need reassurance that they're going to get paid if they don't turn up for work. Otherwise, they're going to keep coming to work rather than self-isolating and quarantining them themselves. That's really a disaster when you have a, a virus like this. There are efforts being made to reassure those people that they will get compensated, but you know it's not an instant thing for them to feel reassured. Just because they see the politicians announce it, they'll need to actually believe that it's really going to happen. There's you know tremendous scepticism about the gap between what governments promise and governments actually deliver here. From the view of you know the, the health system, there's just an enormous number of people in the in the american health system who don't have any kind of insurance coverage whatsoever just an enormous number of americans who who are really exposed because of this and and are frightened to get tested because they're frankly worried that they can't afford the tests that's massively reducing the number of people who are reporting symptoms
1: and just finally because you you touched yeah. on it there the uk decided not to go ahead with its elections in may but they, i mean they are there were local elections and some mayors mm-hmm. uh, well there's a primary process rolling on towards an election campaign in america what impact is any is coronavirus having on that so far the candidates have,
6: have essentially stopped campaigning in the conventional sense bernie looked really almost emotional last night saying what it had felt like for him to stop holding rallies he kept saying how he enjoyed having mass rallies and now he's doing virtual fireside chats instead and it could tell from his face it really doesn't have the same emotional thrill for him biden's doing the same they've most of their if not all of their campaign staff are now working from home there's simple kind of get out the vote type activities where you would normally call together a whole bunch of volunteers in a room and get them working phone banks that's now having to be done individually from home which you would imagine greatly reduces the the sort of productivity of that kind of effort. At the moment, there is still a whole clutch of huge primaries happening. Particularly Florida is, is I think, the third biggest state in America in terms of population and, and therefore the number of delegates that it would deliver. So that's a huge prize that could really put Biden over the top. It's not clear that those will be able to proceed in any in any way like a, a normal set of primaries but yeah at the moment there's some some of the later primaries i think Georgia and Louisiana uh, have so far said that they're going to postpone holding their votes you look ahead and you you assume that this whole isolation process is going to become more extreme the grip of the crisis is going to get a lot tighter before it loosens and where that leaves Not just the Democrats' primary race, but particularly the the general election against President Trump in November is, is anyone's guess. And you would think that election will end up being a referendum on President Trump's treatment of coronavirus one way or another.
1: It'll be fascinating how it plays out, not least the practicalities of trying to fight a general election, and also the impact, like you said, the impact on um, Donald Trump's uh, reputation for competence, which is what it is. Um, well, it'll be fascinating to see what impact this does have on politics, not just in America, but across the world. At the moment, we're still very much in crisis mode, uh, but at some point, people will start asking the questions of, of whether or not their leaders have been up to the job, as and when they come up to election, what people uh, make of that, whether that's the competence of Boris Johnson or Donald Trump or Angela Merkel or whatever it might be my huge thanks to all of the guests on the podcast Manvin Rana Richard Lloyd Parry Tom Kington Charles Bemner, Oliver Moody and Ben Hoyle if you've got particular questions that you'd like us to answer uh, email redbox at uk or tweet us at timesredbox uh, particularly if you think there are things that we could be talking about over the next few weeks things are going to be incredibly difficult for us to live our lives but I'm not sure you want to listen to us talking just about how boring it is being stuck at home all the time on the podcast Was there's particular things you want us to talk about uh, Uh, then do get in touch subscribe to the podcast on itunes spotify or wherever you listen and frankly if you've got loads of free time on your hands uh, you could also listen to the red box coronavirus self-isolation playlist Uh, just search for that on uh, spotify red box Coronavirus self isolation playlist. Uh, there's hours and hours and hours of music chosen by Redbox uh, readers and listeners that you can uh, you can while away your hours there. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Stories of Our Time, so you've got something to listen to every day. Uh, subscribe to the Times' new daily podcast wherever you listen. And sign up to my morning email, the times.co.uk forward slash red box, which I should be tapping out from this very desk in the morning. Uh, but for now, for me, Matt Chorley, look after yourselves, wash your hands, take care of those who need help the most, and we'll speak to you again next time. For me, it's goodbye. Planning for your next trip?